Hold up. What was that? Boring. No flavor. That was as bad as those leftovers you ate all week. Kiki Palmer here. And it's time to say hello to something fresh and guilt free. Hello, Fresh. Jazz up dinner with pecan crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Now that's music to my mouth. Hello, Fresh. Let's get this dinner party started. Discover all the delicious possibilities at HelloFresh.com. This is a Virgin Media Originals podcast series. Hello and welcome to The Tonight Show. One story dominates our programme tonight. The shocking killing of a young Tullamore teacher, Ashling Murphy. All day, tributes have poured in for the young victim. The authorities have vowed that justice will be done. This is the most serious of crimes. It is an evil act and it will be treated as such. And so the Gardaí have very clear direction as to what they should do. And it's important now that we support them in doing their job and that whoever is responsible for this faces the full rigour of the law. This shocking crime has sparked an important new national conversation about violence against women, both on the streets and online. Get in touch on Twitter with your comments and questions on hashtag TonightVMTV. She was going for a run. Ashling Murphy should have been back in the classroom this morning. A 23-year-old primary school teacher, beloved of her young pupils. Instead, those children were today told how their teacher would not be there, nor ever return. Why? The victim of an apparent random fatal assault, but targeted as a woman. She did all the perceived right things, choosing to run along an established route, a popular walkway, in daylight hours. And yet, a family tonight is devastated, a community is in mourning, and as a society, we've been forced to yet again ask the question, when will women be safe? When can women be alone without thinking the worst? Male violence against women is an everyday occurrence. We have these conversations, time and time again, in our homes, among our friends, and in the media. This crime has led to a new national conversation about violence against women and our toxic online culture. Well, first tonight, our reporter, Ashling Roach, looks at the tributes flooding in all day to the victim, Ashling Murphy. An altar stands at the top of Miss Murphy's classroom in her honour. She thought her first-class students at Durrow National School just yesterday. Today, cards fill her desk made by her loving pupils. Ashley joined our school here last March 2021 and she then started the year by teaching first-class pupils. Um, an amazing, amazing person. Her shining light would come into the doors in the morning and her smile would uplift anyone. She was an extraordinary, talented girl with sports, uh, traditional Irish music, choral talents conducting choir and much, much more. And not only within the school community here, but in the wider community and other organisations throughout the Midlands. The 23-year-old seen here on the right was from a local family who are well known in traditional music circles, as was Ashling herself. The whole community are in shock, um, uh, but obviously sadness as well, and sadness towards the family, um, because uh, they would have 
seeing their beautiful daughter get up yesterday morning and go out to work and work in a local school um, here in Doro uh, in the National School and teaching kids and then on their way home then yesterday they decided to take uh, a few minutes out to go for a jog along the canal. Taoiseach Micheál Martin today describing what happened as shocking and horrific. Uh, this is devastating news, um, the very violent and horrific uh, killing of Ashley Murphy. Uh, my heart goes out to her parents, to her family, uh, to the children she taught um, and to the wider community. Um, she didn't waste a minute of her life. The murder of Ashling Murphy has sparked huge outcry both locally and across the country. This is the most serious of crimes. It is an evil act and it will be treated as such. And so the Gardaí have very clear direction as to what they should do. And it's important now that we support them in doing their job and that whoever is responsible for this faces the full rigour of the law. Ashling was highly athletic, an award-winning musician, and started teaching in Duro National School in March of last year. Her former principal, who recently retired, recruited Ashling. Well, when we first met Ashling, we knew she was um, a consummate uh, professional teacher. She was a talented girl, sport and music-wise, well known to us all. And we knew she would fit in very, very well with the children here in this school. Strong tradition of traditional music. And Ashling is an All-Ireland champion fiddle player. So we knew that she was the right person for here. Uh, as well as her uh, teaching ability, of course. She completed her studies at Mary Immaculate College in Limerick just three months ago. The president of the college today paid tribute, saying the entire MIC community is heartbroken and shocked to the core to hear of the tragic and senseless killing. Ms Murphy was a former pupil of the Sacred Heart School in Tullamore, who also paid tribute, describing her as a vibrant member of the school community who will be sadly missed. Another memorial stands at the entrance to Durrow National School, where everyone who passes through the door has been honouring Ashling. Ashling Roach reporting there. Well, we can go live now to Tullamore tonight and join our crime correspondent, Sarah O'Connor, who has um, the latest on the Garda investigation. Sarah, can you bring us up to date with what we know tonight? Yes, Claire. Well, the 40-year-old man who was arrested shortly after Ashling Murphy was murdered yesterday in broad daylight at four o'clock beside the canal just outside Tullamore continues to be held here at Tullamore Guard the station this evening. He can be questioned for a total of 24 hours. So it's understood that sometime overnight that a decision will have to be made on whether to charge or release him. So we'll await news on that. But about the suspect himself, he has been living in Tullamore for a number of years. He he would be known to the guard these number of previous convictions including for public order and assault and he's also before the courts on other charges and so is out on bail at the moment and as part of this investigation Garthi would have been awaiting the results of forensic analysis they would have been interviewing witnesses and of course we know that two witnesses saw what happened to Ashling Murphy yesterday at four o'clock that they were at the other side of the canal exercising themselves when it happened and heard the screams but by the time they got to her yesterday at four o'clock it was too late for Ashling and the suspect had fled. Now the guard the commission has this evening said that they are making real progress in this investigation, Claire. And Sarah, there is an appeal to the public for anyone who has any information on a particular mountain bike. Uh, tell us about that. 
Yeah, so the Commissioner met with the team investigating Ashling's murder today here at the station. 50 Gardaí are involved in this uh, full-scale murder investigation. The Gardaí Commissioner firstly moved to reassure the public that a national effort is behind this investigation in terms of resources. He also stressed that this is a safe society and that these types of events are relatively rare. But he did have a specific appeal, as you said, Claire, in relation to a green mountain bike. You can see a photograph of it there. It's a Falcon Storm bike with this distinctive markings. Uh, Garthi have taken possession of it as part of this investigation. It is significant and they're appealing to anyone who has any information in relation to the movements of that bike in recent days to contact them. Okay, Sarah O'Connor, um, our crime correspondent, joining us from Tullamore tonight. Thank you for the latest on the investigation. Well, just to discuss all this, I'm joined by Junior Minister Anne Rabbit, journalist and broadcaster Alexandra Ryan, and Sarah Benson, CEO from Women's Aid. Um, and uh, I, I suppose to start with you, Sarah, on this, um, there's shock, um, revulsion, grief being expressed right around the country today. So many people, I'm sure, can't get uh, the death of this young woman out of their heads. It's, um, it's something, and even for those of us desensitised in news, I think we're, we're, we're even talking about today, and, and everyone has been affected by this. Um, what's been your reaction to the death of Ashling Murphy and indeed that national outpouring around it? Yeah, well, I mean, first and foremost, our heart goes out completely to the family, loved ones, friends, anyone whose life uh, has been touched uh, in a personal way by the, the death of Ashling Murphy. And we know that this is just the beginning of a very long and painful journey, and we hope they get all the support that they need for as long as they need. Um, in Women's Aid, we have since 1996, uh, sorry, 1996 been recording um, and memorialising the deaths through violence of women in this country and sadly yesterday that number increased with the death of Ashley to 244 women who've died in these circumstances and I know it has been alluded to and it is a rare thing and about 13% of those women will have died at the hands of a stranger but nonetheless it is every single one of those deaths is utterly senseless, utterly shocking. And I think that that's what's resonating now at the moment. And I think it also has echoes in other very, very recent cases, like in the UK, the case of Sarah Everard. And a lot of those conversations, you know, people are contacting us uh, through our social media, through our helpline. And so many of those kind of questions and, and indeed anger as to why it is that a young woman can't walk, uh, can't jog in a public place without feeling that uh, she might be at risk. Yeah, and Ali, I think for many people it was the normality of this and we've seen that hashtag trending, she was, she was going for a run. It yeah. was simply she decided after school that she was going to go out uh, and go for a run and do so in daylight hours uh, and yet this happened and that's something and um, would you agree that that's in part why that resonated with so many people around the country? Yeah, I think overall this is such an important discussion to have. I'm devastated that the reason we're having it is because the young woman has been brutally murdered but this discussion is extremely important and when Sarah Everett died I remember doing a few radio appearances talking about her death and how as a woman every day when you get up there's at least two or three times a day you're worried you know literally the second you're born as a woman you're worried you're told not to get pregnant not to get your drink spiked not to be raped don't get this don't get that like where does it end and I feel like women even in this country that is deemed to be safe apparently you know we do take 
take really small but really important precautions. We text our friends if we're getting in a taxi. We share our location if we're going on a first date. We don't go out after dark. We have our keys in our hand. We don't. We make sure our surroundings are always aware. We look around. It's it's very very frustrating to see some of the rhetoric online today. You know, not all men, and you know, men are worried too. It's just not the same, and there is a serious issue in that people don't understand male privilege and this is the thing if you have never had to be worried about who's crossing the street or who's behind you you don't understand and seeing this happen it just makes the fear so much worse would you agree minister that there isn't a national understanding around this what ali said will resonate with so many women we all know this we all know this but surprisingly and i think this was brought up um with, with the murder of sarah everard um firstly it seems that a lot of men in our lives were not were not aware of this um, and that there's a huge gap in, in understanding in this country around it. Absolutely, Claire, and I can only but agree with everything that Ali is after saying here, to be quite honest with you. There is a lack of understanding, there's a lack of awareness, unless you've had that fear unless you've carried the keys in your hand or unless you're continuously telling people where you are unless you're when you're having that walk you walk a little bit faster if you feel somebody's coming a little bit too close to you if you have that level of uncomfortableness i don't think there's a clear national understanding with our opposite sex uh, by all as to exactly what that fear is like what it's like for your heart to pound that bit faster when you feel that level of uncomfortableness within yourself and like there i look at this through a number of lenses i look at it as a mum of two teenage girls and what's ahead of them I look at it as myself, as a woman who enjoys to walk, but as recently, particularly since the UK incident of thinking twice about my walk alone at night. I like to walk alone to clear my head, mm. uh, but I, I walk with my earphones in, but there's no music on because I need to be aware of my surroundings all of the time. And I'm no different to anybody else. That's exactly the feeling. Uh, and this con conversation that we're having, it's horrific that we're having this conversation. Uh, and, and for Ashleen's family, that perhaps and her friends, or her wider community that are listening to us talking about um, this this evening. It's a devastating thing to have to listen to. And a conversation that we're having time and time again, as I say. Well, I want to bring in broadcaster and writer Keith Walsh um, for his perspective on all of this. Um, and Keith, you know, the reaction among men to um, a, a immediate backlash to the idea of this hashtag not all men, um, uh, that, that's sort of been doing the rounds and has been quite pervasive on social media. We know not all men carry out such horrific acts, but isn't it true that all men need to start talking about this, need to start understanding about all of this, need to talk to their sons, to their brothers, to their friends. Yeah, not all men, but always men. And, and uh, that's very important that we that we realise that today. It's time for men to, to shut up. It's time for men to be quiet. And it's time for men to start listening. And it's time for men to start listening to the women on your panel, to their wives, to their girlfriends, to whoever, the women in their lives. They need to start listening to what they're saying about living in this country, about the level of fear they feel every day. That fear is a fear of men. It's not a fear of anybody else. It's not a fear of women. It's a fear of men. The responsibility for safety in this country lies squarely at the feet of men now. So we need to stop. We need to stop getting offended by being verbally attacked on the television, on the radio, on Twitter. We need to think about women being physically attacked in broad daylight, in a street, on a street in a midland town in Ireland. This is where we're at. This is where we're at in 2022, men. And if you feel offended that you think that somebody might be saying 
that you are responsible for this. Well, you know, maybe you need to take a good hard look at yourself because this is about men taking responsibility for the safety in this country. It lies squarely at our feet. It's not women's problem. And we need to listen and we need to stop talking and we need to stop trying to tell them what they need to do. We need to realise that women have to carry keys as weapons in between their knuckles when they walk to go and get their car. We don't experience that. We live in two different countries. There's a country where men live and there's a, a country where women live where they live in fear and they are our wives and our daughters and our girlfriends and our mothers. Yeah, there, there's that there's gap there's that gap between those two worlds and essentially this is a bubble that we are living that we are living in Sarah but to to talk about this we were remi reminded and you did so at the start when you talked about since 1996 244 um, women killed here. Uh, it's a very stark reminder that there are more cases, cases happen, deaths happen, and yet nothing has changed. What do you think will be the catalyst for that change? Yeah, I mean, I, I think uh, the reality is that actually the most dangerous place in this country for a woman is actually her own home. And while this is uh, an appalling case we, we're reflecting on this evening, I think that's important to remind. And that is, you know, in the context of intimate partner violence, domestic violence, coercive control. And I really welcome everything Keith has to say, but I will put one caveat on it is the one time that we really don't want men to be quiet is when they are with each other, because silence is is complacency but it's also uh, complicity and so I mean in my past I worked in many different jobs including you know in the service industry and as a bartender and I used to listen to guys you know um, uh, talk about their friend who was clearly abusive to, to their partner after he had left and I was going, well, why don't you say it when he's here because your silence is letting him think he can speak about that or he can treat her that way or so calling out those uh, those behaviors and even calling out that kind of low lower level kind of sexism uh, degrading behavior it is a spectrum and the longer somebody who is inclined to see themselves as entitled to behave in an abusive way towards women is not challenged the more it can escalate and to those very uh, rare but really hard and, and you know re unreconcilable cases where you have serious sexual assault where you have murder yeah, it's critical to all of this because I know there are many men tonight probably asking, oh, what can I do? What can be done um, to, to change all this? Uh, but it is, it is that spectrum, isn't it? So the casual throwaway remarks um, that then create this environment, in fact, um, where something like this can happen, Ali, would you agree? I do think that everything, even an act as horrendous as this, it begins, it all stems from daily casual sexism, small moments of misogyny that women have as well as men, unfortunately. It's a societal issue. You know, we're in a world where women call each other sluts, men call women, you know, certain names. And if we all grow up in a society where that sort of language is okay, where it's fun to whistle at a girl or beep at her when she's walking on her own, if those very small things are accepted, it only leads to something horrendous like this. And we all, as a society, like Sarah is saying, we need to, even if it's a guy friend of ours and we see them, we think it's funny. You have to stop them. It's not funny. That girl could literally be terrified. And I think the small changes, that's where this has to start. Yeah, you know, there's, there's a thought out there, um, Minister, that when we see the billions that are being spent um, battling a COVID pandemic and something like that being treated rightly as an emergency, this is an emergency. Where's the funding for this? Why isn't the issue of gender-based violence being treated as an emergency in this country? 
Well, to be fair to, to, to Minister Roderick O'Gorman, he secured an additional 21 million this year to support domestic, sexual and gender-based violence, okay? Uh, and it's cross-departmental. And we always talk about departments working on their own, so Department of Justice, the Department of Children and TUSLA are, are the regulatory on it. But you asked a very important question there, if I could just come in on it, Claire, for one second. You said, when will it change? See, Ashling did everything right from a woman's point of view. She went for a run mm. in daylight and she didn't know the person. So for me or for any other woman that wants to know what's the right way to do it, she went in the middle of the day, she, she wasn't in the dark. And that to me is the trigger. That's why society today, that's why we're all stunned. Because yeah, but, but, in term, but, but to that question, yes. okay, so what, what needs to change? Because, uh, because this, this case and this awful death today isn't the it's the first in a long long line There's and two yet things. We, and yet we're, we're 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 still seeing this fear we're talking about the mm. e everyday occurrences and and that fear that this can actually happen and there is a sense that it's not being acted upon i mean we could talk in a very practical measure like tougher sentences isn't the justice system failing women and what's being done about that? Absolutely. There, there's two ways to look at the justice system. Like, uh, and if we're to look at any case, first and foremost, how do you prevent it? Is it about the education? Is it about the awareness? What are the red flags in advance? A, to protect the person themselves that perpetrates the crime. But then we have to look at um, the revolving door, which is going through the court system um, all of the time, um, the free legal aid. Uh, and also, do we need a circuit breaker within all of that to actually look at it and once and for all? And do we? And we why certainly aren't we? do. We we certainly Why haven't do. we? I mean, successive governments have refused to legislate for stiffer sentences. Um, it's not just different sentences that we need. We also need to ensure that when a person is at risk to the general public, that they shouldn't be released on bail. That is one of the basic fundamentals that needs to, to start there. It's different sentences, yes, but we need to start with the basic is not to have people going back out into the community where they can commit the crime again. Okay. Um, Sarah, to, 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 to that courts issue and to what, where where we go now and what we do if we are to take proper action on this. Is it around educating men, um, you know, having that conversation, normalising it right around the country in every household that this is, this is, this is how you do the right thing. Sure. Uh, not telling women to get a special app or have an alarm or have a spray in your bag or whatever, but, yeah. but that conversation to be for men. Or is it also looking at the penal framework and what's in place and how that isn't serving anyone? Right, well, succinctly, I hope. Firstly, it is a complete red herring to ever focus on the behaviour of a victim. Um, and equally a red herring to look at even the, the environment in which an attack takes place. It is an environment. You know, uh, a darkened street doesn't somehow magically uh, incite an otherwise mild-mannered individual to suddenly attack. The focus has to be on the perpetrator. First and foremost, the cause uh, and the consequence rests with the perpetrator who makes a choice to behave in a certain way. There is very little anyone can do who is going to be targeted for violence uh, to mitigate or prevent it. They can only try and protect themselves, but they are not the causal factor. So I think it's really important that, and, uh, that at the same time, the reality is that women will continue to try and manage their safety because they simply don't feel safe. So what we need to do is something that is effectively cradle to grave 
We are about to have the new national domestic sexual and gender-based violence strategy published. Uh, the first iteration is due out in February. We welcome it. We and our colleagues and many different stakeholders have fed into it. But it has to be uh, a tripartite approach. So it's like a three-legged stool. We have to have prevention, which starts at the very earliest education. It's about equality. Uh, you know, educating our boys and our girls about respect, mutuality, parity of esteem, even while we're different. So totally tackling all these negative, unhelpful gender stereotypes that are not good for boys and not good for girls. We also then have to have protection because unfortunately, even with the best will in the world, these things are continuing. Um, we have to have specialist support and resourcing for that. And then we do have to have punishment and a justice system that works as an active deterrent. So it isn't any one of those things. It has to be all of them. It has to be cross-government. It has to be resourced. And it has to be actively implemented and reviewed on an ongoing basis. That is what we need to do. It's simple in some respects, but it's a challenge. And uh, we're optimistic now. I think the conversation has started with COVID. It's continuing, but it needs not to continue on the back of these appalling incidents. It needs to change really, really fast. But uh, we're, we're hopeful and we'll be doing our part to try and encourage the government to do that. Uh, Keith, I want to just bring you back in here and everything you've been hearing and, and, and talking about um, what men need to do and, and what needs to happen now. Um, do you believe this is a problem um, when we talk about, you know, the little things that build up into this toxic environment, the casual misogyny, the throwaway comments, but all these things that are really um, um, put women in a very uncomfortable position and not make us feel like we're equal in society? Do you think that's worsening? Uh, I actually think it is, and I feel like you know we we feel like we're we're more enlightened now, but we're not really, and we um, like we need to we need to uh, like this coming back to it again. We as men need to step up now. We need to. Uh, talk to our sons. I had a conversation with my own son this morning. He's 13. I had a, a, you know, an uncomfortable, but you know, a good conversation with him about the terrible thing that had happened and, and asked him how he felt about it. And I explained why it happened and I explained the situation and what it's like for women living in Ireland. We need to be having these conversations. We all also need to be having conversations in the office and we need to be talking to men and making sure that they are, you know, there's no misogyny within the office. We need to make sure that if you are in a boys' school and you have a classroom full of boys, the one thing you can do tomorrow is is talk to that classroom uh, full of boys and explain to them what it's like for women to live in Ireland at the moment and ask them their opinion and put them straight on a few things and educate them. And it's the same for officers, the same for standing in the bar. If you hear something that is uncomfortable and would make a woman feel uncomfortable, if it would make you feel uncomfortable, well, it's time to call it out. And it's time for men to start calling th these things out. It's time for us to even in the streets to you know to call out a cat call or whatever yeah. we need to step forward and we need we yeah. need to do our best and and it's not good enough there's no excuses there was no there's no excuses anymore this is it now this has to be a watershed moment okay well of course the death of Ashling Murphy is at the very heart of this story and a short time ago I spoke to Anne-Marie Gohan a fellow teacher who worked with Ashling yeah, look at I mean, Ashling started with us back in last March and since the first day she joined us in Durrow she settled in straight away, um, so accommodating, fun-loving, caring, um, just the perfect primary school teacher, you know, everyone loved her. Um, so we have nothing but good to say about Ashling. nothing but kind words, good words. Much loved by her students um, and by all the staff there at the school, I imagine. 
certainly, yeah, yeah, a lot of broken-hearted um, staff members and children out in Duro today, and indeed the Duro community were all heartbroken by this news, devastated uh, and overwhelmed, of course, by everything that's unravelling. And hard then, as you say, um, I imagine, to, to put in words how this has affected you all in the school itself and in the wider community and how you're going to deal with that now in the coming days and months and the time ahead, Amory. Yeah, well, I mean, Claire, today was all about uh, focusing on uh, the mental health and the well-being of our staff and our pupils in our school. And um, so today was day one and it was a difficult day for us all. Um, moving forward, I mean, we'll all be there, we'll all support each other and we'll be there for the children in whatever way we can. Um, and that's all we can do really at this challenging, difficult time. And Anne-Marie, are you heartened by the vigils that are taking place tonight and the planned vigils around the country in the coming days? Um, the national, national outpouring of grief over Ashling's death, uh, what does that mean to you there in the school? Yeah, I mean, it means everything to us. And today, like the, the, the support that we've received in school today from everything from cards to flowers, um, text messages, phone calls to the school, it's just been... I'm going to use the word overwhelming again. It's just been, you know, we're so grateful. And again, I'd like to pass on our condolences from the school to the family, um, our deep, sincere condolences to them all at this very difficult time. Okay, Anne-Marie, thank you so much for joining us tonight um, to remember Ashling and our deepest condolences to you, uh, to all our friends and colleagues in the school there and in the wider community in Tullamore. Thank you. And my thanks to Keith and Sarah. Anne and Ali are staying with me. Next, more on the death of Ashling Murphy and what can we do about our toxic online culture? Stay with us. Hey, folks, I'm Mark Marin from the WTF Podcast, and this episode is brought to you by Kleenex Ultra Soft Tissues your ally to help tackle your allergy symptoms this season. I love the change of seasons, but nobody loves pollen and all those other things floating in the air that make you sneeze during this nice weather. Kleenex Ultra Soft Tissues are hypoallergenic and allergist approved. So fight back against watery eyes and runny noses without worrying about irritating your skin. For this allergy season, grab Kleenex and face allergies head on. Even on a budget, quality is non-negotiable. That's why Quince is the place to score high-end essentials at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Get your hands on buttery soft cashmere sweaters from just 60 bucks, Italian leather jackets, and so much more. And the best part about Quince? They exclusively partner with factories committed to safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Elevate your style without the elevated price tag with Quince. Go to Quince.com upgrade for free shipping and 365-day returns.
Welcome back, Junior Minister Anne Rabbit and Alexandra Ryan are still with me. And we're joined now on Skype by Tanya Ward from the Children's Rights Alliance and by Adrian Weckler, tech editor at independent.ie. Uh, because we want to talk about the online safety and media regulation bill um, that has been published that's all about, I suppose, holding big tech to account. Uh, Tanya, I want to bring you in first on this. Um, from a Children's Rights Alliance perspective, and I suppose representing those who are more vulnerable in our society, um, we're talking about uh, toxicity in the online world and abuse against children, against women. Um, how pervasive is it and how necessary is this legislation? Look, unfortunately, it's incredibly invasive. Um, all the studies are telling us uh, that, you know, children are, are being exposed to huge levels of abuse online. Uh, CyberSafe published a report last year that found one in four children had experienced uh, abuse online. And we know, for example, particularly because of the lockdown, uh, this, these levels of abuse have increased. So one of the things that deeply concerns us, let's say, in the, in the last year is that images of child abuse, for example, uh, explode last year uh, on the internet and lots of children were coerced to uh, sharing images of themselves with pornographers who went on to sell those images uh, to, to other adults. So it's deeply disturbing what's happening in the online world and I suppose the answer to this is to educate and to regulate and to invest in the Gardaí to prosecute and investigate these perpetrators. Um, I mean, we, we, we've seen the impact of uh, from, uh, throughout the country of, of, of Ashley's murder. And I think what we need to look at now is education. It's absolutely critical. And education in relation to online world is integral to that because a lot of the abuse that's taking place is actually happening in the online world. I mean, Women's Aid published a report last year and half of all women who had experienced domestic abuse, it has happened before the age of 18, and half of them had been abused in the online world. And a lot of what's happening is um, images are being shared of women, uh, material is being posted online to, to shame them, to bully them. And what a lot of them are finding it it's very hard to get uh, social media platforms to take that kind of material and content well, down. So just... Yeah. Sorry, that, that's the big thing, isn't it, contained within yeah. this bill that you, you were hoping to see, that it will have some teeth, that it can take action um, against these powerful platforms. And, and I suppose what we want to know is, um, among the things you were looking for was an individual complaints mechanism where somebody who isn't having any luck getting material removed um, when they approach the tech companies can go to an individual body such as this um, online commissioner who will do something about it. But will something be done about that? Well, what the, the minister is proposing is that an expert group will be established to uh, look at proposals for uh, a review mechanism, essentially, when a tech company fails to respond to someone's complaint adequately or, or take down uh, material that is causing harm to, to a person. The, this expert group will have 90 days to report. And I suppose it's, it's significant that the minister has made this commitment. It, it, it's incredibly important. I mean, Australia is the leader here. They have the gold standard. Um, 
they have a complaints mechanism where these tech providers uh, fail to take content down. And it is incredibly important that we have it in place because children and young people are up against the most powerful, richest companies in the world who frankly are not investing sufficiently in making the on-world line uh, safer for children. I mean, they, they despite the fact that about a third of global users of the internet are children, they pretend that children don't exist on the online world. And it's not a case of children just happen to discover harmful content. Some of these platforms, and it's been verified by, um, by whistleblowers such as Francis Hayne, by the Five Rights Foundation in London, they're actually driving children towards very harmful content online, pro-anorexia content, harmful pornography, hate speech. And so what we really need is an online safety commissioner with teeth that prevents these companies from, from driving children's this content, for putting profit first. And we also have to have an individual complaints mechanism where these companies do fail to deal with these complaints adequately. There is actually an independent body that children and young people can go to and families can go to to get some sort of uh, remedy and results. Yeah. Reso resolution um, to the big problem that's out there. Um, Adrian Weckler, I'd like to bring you in here. I mean, will tech companies be quaking in their boots over this? Because they should be, shouldn't they? No, they won't. Um, I sp I've spoken to a few of them and their attitude to this is they want a bill like this to come in because it gives them a clear set of rules from their point of view, but they don't see anything here that will be disruptive to them. Now, it's important to say that tech companies don't want you know, there to be abuse on their platforms, but they know that it's there. The problem here that we face is how do you deal with this stuff? For example, Twitter brought in an experiment called safety mode where it would auto block tweets that were abusive, particularly aimed toward women and female professionals. If once we set up this online safety commissioner, how do they deal with thousands or tens of thousands or millions of complaints? And because is it the, done in a timely the complaints fashion? are going to come EU-wide into Ireland. Isn't I'm, that the issue that's being presented by government? I, I mean, the, the volume here could be absolutely staggering. And we don't yet have an idea on two main things. One, how they're going to deal with that. And two, what the definition of harmful content will be. We have a framework of what we think is in the ballpark of harmful content. It's things like you know, harassment or uh, you know, um, stalking, cyberbullying. But beyond that, it doesn't get more specific. Now, the minister has kind of kicked the can down the road on that and said, well, look, we'll address those more specific issues granularly um, in the Dáil and, and we'll make law uh, to, you know, to address those as they come up. But as it stands, your question, are the big tech companies quaking in their boots right now? No then it's not really effective, is it, Minister? I, I would disagree with that. Um, it will be. Um, I think it's the first step um, um, to get... But it's been an awfully long time coming. It has, it's absolutely. Been talked about, it's been talked about for years, and at this point we've published the legislation. It's likely to be probably another year before we see it, it coming into some shape or form where it'll actually help people. And that will be very welcome when it does come in a year's time, Claire, to be quite honest with you. But we can't do it as a silo. We have to do it in conjunction as well with what's happening in the brighter context right, right across Europe. Uh, and, and there is pieces within it because digital is changing all of the times. But there's basic foundations that is required there. And that is one is protection of children. One is the protection of harm of content. One is actually how it is regulated as in the media source 
within it. I mean, yeah, just quickly on resourcing all of this, because we've talked about the mammoth task if you're dealing with EU-wide complaints, because we are hosts, of course, of these, uh, the big four, the tech companies, so we'll be dealing with all of this under this legislation. Why don't we get the tech companies to pay for it? So how it's going to happen first is Minister Martin was very successful. She secured 5.5 million in the budget just to resource it, to put the office in place. And from then it's going to be, um, it's actually, there's going to be levies uh, applied um, to the various platforms to have to contribute towards Okay. And there's also going to be fines. So the regulator will actually, it, it, hopefully, it will have the robust power. Okay, but okay. there will also be fines as well if they don't adhere to the various regulations. Of course, for these companies who are making billions, a percentage of their profits in Ireland probably won't amount to a huge uh, deterrent in terms of fines. Ali, from your perspective, you've personal experience. Um, around this, you're, you're invested in it. Uh, do you think the legislation is good enough or, or a, a little half-baked? I don't know. I'm interested to see what happens when it comes in. I had been working with the Department of Justice last year on the intimate image abuse campaign, bringing in Coco's law, which was really important. And when I was doing that campaign, I met with the minister and I asked in government, what is the plan for online harassment and bullying? Because Adrian makes a very good point. What is harmful content? So not only have I received messages, public tweets, Instagram, you know, comments, things like that. There are private threads on the internet, 45 pages long about me, all complete lies, talking about my personal life, you know, suggesting things that are genuinely so defamatory to my character that personally upset me, my family. And there is literally nothing I can do about it. They're not owned by Facebook. You know, that is another a random other site and what I would love to see come in is see the big tech giants and websites like you know anonymous threads fall under the same rules of libel and defamation that everyone here on this show is under if I was to defame someone right now there's a minimum 50 grand cost there but someone can go on a thread that maybe 12,000 people have seen and suggest that I'm having an affair with someone I've only met twice or suggest I'm horrible to my staff and nothing happens and that's what I want to see change on and I really think that will maybe come under just Minister for Justice more so because I think it needs to become a crime and also Australia brought in the first anti trolling right, uh, legislation I think Ireland needs to follow suit I think trolls you know anonymous mm. accounts if they're scared that they're going to be tracked down if then the companies that'll are scared be part, that'll, yeah, be, they that'll be part of the solution scared. but it's okay. very important as well to know that we have given children our telephones they have access to the internet and we have nothing to protect them with it so it has to be welcome that we're making the first steps to yeah. try and protect our, our okay. children and our most vulnerable in society all right we'll leave it there uh, thanks to Minister Rabbit uh, Tanya and Alexandra Adrian stays with us. Coming up next, the big news stories of the week. So stay right there. Welcome back. Now for our news review of the week, Adrian Weckler is still here and I'm also joined by Sarah Burns of the Irish Times. And Sarah, uh, to you first and the story this week, of course, from a political point of view and a health point of view, with the big changes around close contacts um, when it came to our COVID response and the number of infections, of course, peaking right now in the country, we think. Um, but a big policy change from government in the middle of all of this. Yeah, definitely. It feels like though close contact and testing guidance is changing all the time. But now it's the case that if you're close contact and you're fully vaccinated, boosted as well, and you're asymptomatic, you no longer have to restrict your movements for five days. You know, and the only guidance now is that you wear the higher grade face masks for 10 days if you're in a crowded setting. And also um, 
that you... Uh, I'm oh, yeah. Antigen test for, for the seven days exactly. as well. Antigen test regularly as well. Yeah, so there's a number of, of mitigation measures that... Um, the government have sort of announced in place in letting people go about and this idea that we are going to live with COVID essentially, Adrian. That's basically it. That's the sense that um, I think we all have now that the government appear to have uh, made a decision in loosening these rules enough, particularly with the anti around antigen tests in saying that they think that it's okay to uh, update the HSE's website with antigen test results. What they're kind of saying is that, right, we've, we've decided we are going to, to live with this a little more rather than, you know, treat it in a very, very ultra formal way. Now, a lot of people will agree with that. There's been a lot of calls on, you know, the, the state to loosen up its procedures with regard to COVID. And some people will be worried about it as well because maybe antigen tests aren't quite 100% as reliable as a professional PCR test, mm. uh, for example. But that's the, I think that's the sense we all get. And again, like that's a big U-turn. All these decisions, it seems like everything that was being said last year um, and the year before, it, it's all changed now. Um, that's going to be interesting to see how that plays out, dependent on the way this goes, because there has been some scientific concern and public health concern that by changing your, your close contact rules, um, that we are going to see a big increase in cases, aren't we, Sarah? Yeah, and like even if even with this antigen test, you know, the new rule around those, um, people are going to have to upload those to the HSE system from tomorrow. And then in terms of close, close contacts for those, they'll um, be sent out antigen tests. But, you know, if a person wants to get a COVID recovery cert, they actually have to get a PCR test or get an antigen test that's been administered professionally. So there's already these kind of, you know, add-ons as well as the antigen tests. But... If you look at the big numbers today and the ICU numbers, they said the HSE said this evening that ICU numbers are high but stable. But there's just this unrelenting pressure on the system. We have 15,000 healthcare workers out at the moment, and Paul Reed, the HSE chief executive, said that they're effectively working with one hand tied behind their backs at the moment. Yeah, and huge pressures on the system with all of this, and right around the country, actually, with different with different services, um, everyone affected um, by such high number of cases. Um, just onto what we're seeing uh, over the water uh, in the UK, Boris Johnson back again in the headlines. Is he ever out of them? Um, yet another party. Um, and this time we are actually hearing tonight um, reports coming through about another party in number 10 Downing Street and this on the eve of Britain, Britain's Prince Philip's funeral where we remember that image of Queen Elizabeth sitting alone at her husband's funeral and reports then um, tonight that there, was, there, were, there were parties going on. Uh, how much more of this will the public take? I really can't see them taking that much more. There is a kind of a rule of thumb with Boris Johnson to us looking at it from this side of the, the sea, which is that his main audience is not the audience that gives out about him and that hates him. So up till now, he's probably been buttressed a little bit by the fact that the people who keep him in power aren't as outraged as many of the rest of us. That said, there was an opinion poll uh, this morning which showed him, I think, over 10 points behind the Tories, over 10 points behind Labour. If that keeps up, he will be toast. The 1922 committee uh, of the Tories has been written to by the Scottish Conservatives who have no love for Boris Johnson, they effectively want him out. If the 1922 committee decides to hold a vote of confidence, that would lead to a leadership vote. If there hadn't been 
reports of another party tonight, my instinct would have been he's going to ride this out because he has ridden out so many things, and that is his electorate. I think he might be toast now, though. Yeah. Yeah, and that was one of the things that was being said this week. Well, what more is actually to come here? Because um, the big excuse was, um, yes, it was a work event. Um, I, I was there, but and I'm sorry about that, but it was a work event. Um, and we'll await the outcome of the Sue Gray investigation, which kicks the can down the road that little bit. And I'm, I presume that Boris Johnson was hoping nothing else would happen between the outcome of that investigation or maybe a mass distraction. Um, but now we're hearing reports tonight. It makes it... Uh, increasingly difficult for him, you, you'd imagine. Absolutely. I mean, before this evening, we had a number of senior Tory MPs come out and say they wanted Boris Johnson to step down. Now we have another party, another controversy. Um, like Adrian said, I think if it, if it had just been up to now and, you know, the party that was referenced there, he might have been able to hold on. But I, I just think his time as leader is just increasingly becoming under pressure because of the actions he's taken in recent months. OK, um, headlines down under also um, making headlines here, global headlines, in fact, and that's Novak Djokovic and, and what's been happening about, about his participation in the Melbourne Open and uh, the details he put down in order to get into the country and to play. It's quite bizarre the way all of this is, has played out, isn't it, Adrian? Yeah, the walls are closing in on Novak Djokovic. Um, he keeps getting caught out with detail after detail uh, for his entry form into uh, Australia which weren't correct he's blamed his handler he has blamed the tennis federation there and it's starting to be now a national political issue not only in Australia but around the world there's a touch of the Boris controversy going on what we saw here with Golfgate people feel why is it that we uh, adhere to all of these lockdown regulations but Novak Djokovic, who's a multi-million euro tennis player whose biggest fear is that he can't go for a 21st Grand Slam, doesn't have to abide by those. So politically, I think his, the decision will be made in the next 24 hours. Again, I think he's not going to be let play. Okay, and just to uh, bring you some breaking news that's just reaching us um, tonight, and a man who was being uh, interviewed by Garthi in Tullamore has been uh, released tonight. That's the latest information that we are receiving um, on that. Um, there we'll have to leave it. That will be a front-page story everywhere tomorrow. But that is it from us. Our programme is available as a podcast on all major platforms. From all of our late team here and my panel, good night and do take care. is a Virgin Media Originals podcast series. Ever catch yourself eating the same flavorless dinner three days in a row? Dreaming of something better? Well, HelloFresh is your guilt-free dream come true, baby. It's me, Kiki Palmer. Let's wake up those taste buds with hot, juicy pecan-crusted chicken or garlic-butter shrimp scampi. Mm. Hello Fresh. Stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at HelloFresh.com. Let's get this dinner party started.